Hey, this is Mike. Hey, this is Kaz. You are listening to Two Broke Watch Noms. You have made it all the way, all the way to episode 171. Michael, how are you doing? How how are you doing? I'm good. I'm just closing all of my Pornhub tabs. Yeah, you got to close all those, man. It's important. You know? Yeah. Because otherwise we're going to get like lag because it's going to be dragging your bandwidth down. <laughs> Yeah, discovering a lot of new fetishes. You know? Well, because, well, I, I think it's interesting because depending on what you do, if immediately when you land on your search page, if you like filter by longest first, mm-hmm. you're going to eat up a whole bunch of your bandwidth. So if your wife's trying to like watch like a cooking video, like like a recipe video in the kitchen, and you're watching like a two hour like gangbangathon, it's just not going to work out. Com- man. Compilation. Compilations. Yeah. It's just, it's just not going to work out. <laughs> Hey everyone, you've made it to Two Broke <laughs> Watch Snobs, the only podcast where you're going to hear conversations like this without any kind of pretentious pretentiousness, um, but this is going to be a really fun episode actually. So we've been doing Two Broke Watch Snobs for a long time, uh, it's been a while, and throughout the history of us doing this show, we have had many reoccurring segments. Um, our bread and butter, which we haven't done in a while, which I'd like to do eventually again, is uh, affordable vintage watches, our first few episodes were affordable vintage watches part one, two, trois, all this bullshit. Um, additionally, you know, we'll we'll do like really focused episodes, like we did an entire episode on the SKX, we did an entire episode on the Vostok Amphibia, Vostok Amphibia, sorry. Um, and so we have a lot of recurring uh, segments. This one in particular, I really do love. So yeah, and it, it it's kind of taken off. Um, people just like in this. In yeah. the space of our listeners, and it was—it's kind of un- still unexpected for me. Uh, I, I didn't know folks would really like to hear us um, talk about how we don't know something <laughs> about certain, so like or like figure <coughs> things out in real time. But I guess that's part of the charm. We love uh, learning. It really, sh- yeah. It shows. It shows just how many brands are like under the radar in in, in this community. I think. Oh yeah, we love learning about something with you guys, and so that's why for episode 171, Michael and I have decided to do another edition, another edition of uh, Brands We Know Nothing About. This is Brands We Know Nothing About, part 10. Are you ready for this? Jack H. Rowe. I'm fucking, I'm super pumped. Yeah, I love this a, a long, a long time coming. Yes. Uh, you know, because we have a lot of charming bird talk. <laughs> this, uh, <laughs> the charming bird to me is probably one of the coolest things, because it's something so frivolous but still like whimsically charming. Yeah, the amount of engineering that went into the charming bird could have solved like climate change. They could have knocked out cold fusion with the amount of engineering effort that went into a little watch that makes a bird sing. You know what I'm saying? So this is going to be really cool, actually. So uh, Michael and I, we've prepared some stuff. We did a lot of research. Uh, basically, the way this works is brands you know nothing about, if you are unfamiliar, is uh, essentially Michael and I take a brand. Uh, we basically very knew, knew nothing or very little about. Uh, do a bunch of real-time research on air, also have some prepared notes, and we basically just discuss the history of the brand to inform you guys uh, about what makes that brand cool or what makes that brand not that cool. But I think we've done a pretty good job of covering uh, cool a, wide, brands. a wide spectrum of cool brands. Like who? Like what other brands have we done in the past? Let me see. Just to give folks some some flavor. So if you like Rado, Mido, we did Rado, we did Mido, Yo Mido, uh, we did Tracer. Remember Tracer? Really, we did Tracer, didn't we? Let me see. 
I, I don't know anything about them either. <laughs> Michael, don't say that. We did an episode on them. We did Tracer. Yes, Tracer, Frank Mueller, Hublot, Damasco, Credor. That was a really cool one. Uh, no, Citizen, and then Mito. Yeah, yeah. Rado's here. Rado was the first one. Wow. Yeah. So go back and check those out. Maybe we can add a link to like a search query or something. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, totally. Find them all. Totally, totally, totally. That'll be fun. Um, but here, before we get into the main topic, before we get into the main topic, we have to honor tradition. We have to keep the tradition uh, uh, alive. I'm also in a very traditional mindset because we are in the midst of Passover right now. So I'm just eating crackers and air, which is fine. You know what I mean? And brisket. A, a very, a very special Passover. Very, very special different. Passover. Yeah, we did a we did a video seder, which is something I'd never really like done before, I suppose. But it was actually kind of nice. It was nice. That's cute. It was nice seeing everyone. You yeah. know, um, we did it over Google Hangouts. Uh, I thought it was gonna be super weird, but um, yeah, it was like eight, eight or ten people there, and it was it was a lot of fun. But here we have to honor a TBWS tradition. <clears throat> Michael, would you like to do an audio wrist check with me? I would be honored. Yeah, you go first. I'm, I'm talking way too much. Uh, it's the the Black Bay GMT for me today. Nice. The um, kind of just the. I like that it's not as hot as it was before. For some reason, uh, folks now are are having a harder time finding the, the Black Bay 58. Mm. Um, but this one, um, I really <clears throat> think they they knocked it out of the park. Yeah. Uh, so it's just like kind of a, a a very basic uh gmt style watch from you know the the tudor slash rolex family um 70 hour power reserve which i forgot about so i i i got to review this watch uh closer to the time that it came out mm. um, and i unfortunately had to give it back uh and it had just been on my mind for a really 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 long time and um you know it became the flyer eventually so yeah that's it fun did. <laughs> it's it's 41 millimeters wide um again that 70 hour power reserve is still like really amazing me yeah um it's got the local jumping hour so like the gmt nerds can can be satisfied um, and so the local just so just and I, I don't like hammering this home but just i get confused local jumping hour means you can independently set the regular hour hand right yeah, that's correct. So, yeah. like, if you take a more generic GMT movement, or generic is never a bad thing, by the way. Um, uh, the ones, unless the you're ones buying Cheerios, right? <laughs> wheat O's, wheat wheat zeros. Like, I don't want the wheat zeros. Oh, I want some Cheerios, man. But okay, sorry, I digress. Yeah. So on on those on those you can jump the the actual GMT hand, which I guess is a little less desirable. Hmm. Um, the cool thing about jumping the local hour is that you can you can cross time zones and just change the time without interrupting your running seconds. That's that's cool. the best part. But like I've said before, you can do that with a twelve hour bezel. Um, so again, this watch it comes with. You can get it on a NATO. Uh, you can get it on leather. You can get it on the bracelet. This one's on the bracelet. Um, it's just shy of being as good as like a modern oyster. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. It's kind of it's kind of like a modern sixteen seven five. You know, there's there's no real like glitz or glamour to it. The bezel's aluminum. Mm. It's closer. It's closer to the the blue and red than the weird like pink, purple you get with like the gmt on the jubilee <laughs> yeah 
Do you, this is we've talked about in the past before, there is a perspective shift that can occur when you see a watch online or when you read about a watch or when you see Instagram photos for it and like it's beautiful and you're lusting after it and it's super, super cool. This might necessarily apply to you because you've reviewed the watch before, but like you see the watch online and then you get the watch. You're no longer yeah. up late at night looking at pictures of it. You're no longer reading reviews and going to Google fucking like YouTube reviews. You now own the watch. Has some of that luster sort of gone away and is the watch kind of demystified now that it's essentially living in your watch pile, your crack house watch pile? I think it was demystified after reviewing it, yeah. really. Yeah. yeah. Um so it was it was just like it was just like getting something back. Like the watch came back home. <clears throat> yeah. Obviously it's a it's a different one. Gosh, that that was such a funny situation. I'll never forget that Rolex when they sent it to us for review. The watch came in a crate. Tudor? <laughs> yeah, we're, well, it was like Rolex New York that arranged everything. Ah, okay. Yeah. And it came in a fucking crate. It was really funny to see. You either got <laughs> a was... new, do you either got a new dishwasher or you got a Tudor Black by GMT to review? This, like, this way too oversized for what, for what was, what was in there. Um, so that was, that was kind of funny. Um, the last thing I will say about this watch, and this might be controversial. <clears throat> okay. Um, so a lot of people are saying that if this if this watch came in the black bay 58 profile it would be perfect so like mm. sub 40 sub 40 millimeters maybe a little bit thinner wow. um i actually think that that this version is perfect as is um, okay all right you're here, here folks prime your pitchforks <laughs> get your boxes of, of vegetables and produce to fling at michael and i continue if i would change one thing it would be the bracelet maybe like some kind of uh quick adjust feature um some people said like oh like put what's put what's on the pelagos on on this which mm. would be kind of that would be kind of wicked um dude i forgot I, about I the change. pelagos it's a great. It, it, Why so, don't we talk about that watch more? Fuck all this black base shit, <laughs> right? So I, I think I think the I think the the Pelagos and the Black Bay GMT are just like really defining watches for Tudor. Um, so like the Pelagos in in my mind marked the brand's return to the United States and the production of a modern dive watch from the family mm. uh not like a reiteration of the submariner like that that is like that is a watch that's part of our generation of watch collectors yeah i remember when that thing um, came out we were still working together we were still physically able to be in the same room excuse yeah. me as each other and that thing came out and it was like it was gorgeous <laughs> yeah and then with the black bay gmt i think it's like it's kind of a it's kind of a milestone there's nothing special about a blue red gmt um but the fact that this is the first one from Tudor in this sense is yeah. just very special. Do you I think, think people are inclined, and this is a controversial sort of topic that always comes up when people talk about, you know, Pepsi bezels or whether it's Pepsi GMT or not. Do you mm -hmm. think people are mainly inclined at first to get the Tudor Black Bay GMT because it's easier to get than obviously the Rolex GMT Master? You know what I'm trying to say? Absolutely. Um, but I think I, I have also like, I've also spoken to a lot of Rolex nerds that have quite a nerds. few yeah. that just, they, 
they don't want like the new GMT because they don't really think it's like a knockout, especially the Pepsi. Ah, yeah. Um, like it, it hasn't really preserved the the essence of a, a of you know a Pepsi GMT. Um, they might gravitate more towards like the Batman, whether it's mm. on the Oyster or the Jubilee. Like both of those look really really good. But some people will have like a collection of subs, and when the time came for a GMT, they'll get the Tudor because okay. it's like I said, it's it's a little more of a sixteen seven five vibe, um, and I think it's more wearable. Yeah. Um, again, like GMTs, uh, the the modern GMTs, at least for me, like like that Batman just didn't work because yeah. I, I, it felt super super glitzy. Um, it's quite blingy, or not not blingy, but it's it's more dressy than it should be. And, and, and I mean, like, not that it would ever happen. Uh, like Philippe Dufour was on a waiting list for the, the the Rolex GMT on the Jubilee. Like, if that guy's on a waiting list, I'm not going to skip a waiting list. Uh, so, <laughs> Let me just so slip like, my AD an extra twenty five bucks, and I'll uh, <clears throat> I'll jump to the top of that waiting list. Yeah, and, and so like. Uh, I think even if I had the opportunity to get that one at retail, I don't know if the Pepsi GMT would be the one for me. Hmm. I think I'd probably I'd probably try to get something else if I could get something else at retail. You know, it's always kind of like put me off, not off, off the wrong word, but I've I've never really been able to lock into the Black Bay collection. This is not counting the, the Black Bay 58, by the way. I've yeah. never been able to lock into the Black Bay collection because they just so they just seem too not chunky, but like it just seems too big. Especially those initial Black Bay releases. So kind of this this might get you curious though. Okay. And so no one's ever gonna forget this Basel world. The Basel world when Rolex released the Pepsi in steel, and then Tudor like ten minutes later turned around <laughs> and like launched their announcement for the, like that was I don't think people are ever gonna forget that. That's that's like a historic Basel world. Hmm. But another cool thing, if the Black Bays have been like a little chunky in your mind yeah um this is actually a unique case design in the black bay family in that it has these um these uh bevels underneath <clears throat> the case where they kind of carve away from the uh, sides okay. underneath. yeah and while the thickness remains unchanged it looks visually, better visually on like when you have it on wrist and you look at the side profile visually it looks much much thinner than like the regular diver that does address my hesitation because like the sides of it just look like just like slabs of metal it's a very intelligent like way to like quickly like change the design get the launch out and not really keep people waiting for for too long that's cool Uh, i i actually I'm wondering, it's been a while since I've held like a, a Black Bay Diver or anything like that, but I wonder if eventually we'll see all of the Black Bays adopt this case that aren't part of the 58 family. I mean, it'd be pretty smart. That would be smart because this is not the whole slab side thing you'd get with the, uh, you know, with the other Black Bay Divers, the, yeah. the originals. So, so this cool, thing man. is cool, man. I love the Blizzard dial. Like everyone's like, that's too many slabs snowflakes i'm like no it's not (laughs) is that what people call it when there's when they have the snowflake answer they call it a blizzard dial i've said blizzard dial i'm sure i'm sure other people have said it too but yeah that's great cool super super cool is it is it my go it's your turn well michael we are i feel like i spoke for too long sorry no it's good it's good to talk about that watch it's still new to you yeah 
you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Michael, I, we are both wearing T, T watches on basically the complete opposite ends of the spectrum. I'm wearing my Timex MK1 aluminum quartz chrono. <laughs> uh, two T's, Audi TT or Titty, if you're feeling uh, immature, exactly. which we always are. If you're feeling sexy, did you say if you're feeling, if you're feeling sexy? If you're feeling, are you feeling sexy during this quarantine? I haven't felt sexy since uh, 2003. Did you see my quarantine photo? On this story, <laughs> it looked it looked like it, it looked like you got like like a like plane and en- like jet engine backdraft like your hair, <laughs> your, your hair is just all over the place. Yeah, I was, yeah. I haven't I felt, I haven't felt sexy. sexy since two thousand three. I think junior prom. Oh, okay. And that makes me really fucking sad now that I think about it. But yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> to reflect but no i am wearing the uh timex mk1 aluminum chrono i love this thing so when it when it got here it came on the, this is like a hundred dollar watch and so i bought it as sort of a uh, challenge to myself we had done an episode really uh applauding and praising timex for putting out these heritage releases doing really cool stuff um, kind of listening to the request of the watch family and as a large manufacturer, which Timex is, that's pretty unusual. So we were, you know, casting mighty praises and all this bullshit and um, uh, it occurred to me, I'm like, you know what, let's just see what happens. Let me just spend like just under or around a hundred bucks buy a random ass quartz watch from Timex. Something that like catches my fancy visually and see what it's like. And so I ended up on this MK1 series. And I ended up specifically on this MK1 aluminum chrono. Uh, 50 millimeters. It's an aluminum case. It's sort of um, like, uh, it's very clearly like like you know, MK1. So it's like sort of military-ish chrono, kind of bare bones inspired. Uh, to one twenty-second count chronograph. So it has one of the sub-registers at 3 o'clock. When you activate the chrono and then stop the chrono, it'll show you within one twentieth of a second you know, where you, uh, you know, where you are in terms of like how much time that you've, uh, you've, uh, you've measured there. Why would I, anyone need that? I don't know. I'm not like any situation. And this is, this is, this goes for almost every single niche complication. Any situation where you're like a diver or a fucking athlete or some kind of Olympian and you do need to measure something down to the tenths of a second or the twentieths of a second. You're using your phone or like a proper digital stopwatch, something that's a bit easier, you know, easier to use. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. So I, to answer your question, I don't think anyone really fucking <laughs> like needs this, you know, uh, but it's there. So, you know, and I, I have a fascination with quartz chronographs. I love quartz chronographs. I think, I think they need, you know, I think love. they're very misunderstood and they need more love. Bonus points if it's solar. Oh, Christmas chrono. It's right next to me. Christmas chrono. I'm looking at you. Um, but yeah, I like this watch. And so when I first got it, it came on like this random nylon, uh, like a beige strap or whatever. I took that off. I put it on some random leather that I had lying around. And before he asked me what it was, people at home, I don't fucking know. I have a bot. I'm like a serial killer that's been collecting pieces of my victims for decades. I have a box just full of little mementos, like strap mementos. Like, you know what I mean? Do you know what I'm trying to say, Michael? Yeah, I do a Ziploc bag, 
but it's getting it's getting out of hand. I have an old like Amazon box and like a serial killer. I have like <laughs> I have like fingernail clippings and toes. like toes <laughs> and like like lingerie and combs. Like this is these are from my victims. Like it's a box like of evidence. It's a box of evidence. Um, yeah. And it's just full of like, like straps and shit. <laughs> so I, uh, some people have Legos and some people have straps. And so I, um, I grabbed a random other strap out of there and I put it on this watch and it had total like Zen Chrono vibes. Do you remember? Yeah. I, I posted some photos. Yeah, yeah, it really does actually. Fucking you know, gorgeous. If, if a Zen One Hundred Three is kind of like your your Grail, this is kind of like you you can hang out with this as you save up. Absolutely. Um, but I wanted to experiment, uh, you know, dials like this, they're sort of Speedmaster-esque where there's not a lot of color going on. There's a lot of shapes and lines and things like that, but they lend themselves well to being what's called strap monsters. I'm air quoting. Hopefully everyone heard me air quote strap monsters. And so I'm like, okay, let me see if this thing can hang with the strap <laughs> monsters. Yeah. I put that, um, do you remember that navy and gray nato i have on the gavox roads that blue one mm -hmm. yeah i put that on this timex mk1 aluminum chrono and it's oh cool fucking fantastic this this thing is it this is my strap monster watch nice it can hang strap dong with the best of them as far as i'm concerned <laughs> you know what i'm saying so and that's what i'm wearing now you know it's uh the one thing i will say the only thing potentially holding this thing back hold on i gotta write down a note oh you hear the church bells Oh, yeah. Nice that they're still happening. Is it a different song today for Easter? It's a different song for Easter. What is it? That's cute. Easter. That's a nice little touch. It's a nice little touch. <laughs> in, in dark times. In dark times. <laughs> I think that's the kind of stuff that really matters. <laughs> uh, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. So um, the only thing potentially holding this watch back from being a proper... <clears throat> all-encompassing <clears throat> fuck excuse me i have allergies right now strap monster is that due to the aluminum construction of the case uh it's light i don't care about it getting scratched or dented i don't give a fuck about that it, the lightness is an issue it's so light that if you were to have like like before i had this leather strap on here it's really funny i'm holding the leather strap in one hand and the watch in the other hand the leather strap is heavier than the watch <laughs> <laughs> it's an aluminum no, 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 it's um aluminum crystal fucking i wish uh it's um acrylic crystal so the whole mm -hmm. watch is just super light so if you wanted to get this watch and put it on like a monster like leather strap or like a milanese mesh uh i would i would be aware you know it's going the weight distribution is going to be a little odd. So if that bothers you, don't get the Timex as a strap monster. If you don't care or if you like that, go nuts. But yeah. uh, I love this Timex <clears throat> and um, I'm really excited to get more photos of it and try to get something up on the site on the on the site for it. You know? Pretty cool, man. <clears throat> You're still enjoying that. Speaking of the site, should we get into the big news? <laughs> The big news. The big news. I'm pregnant. I'm not pregnant. Um, <laughs> I'm That's expecting. Big news. <laughs> big, big news to everyone. Um, really, really cool. So we there's a there's a piece of news on this site which a lot of folks aren't talking about, which is really weird to me. Uh, it's in relation to Basel World 2020, uh, the the uh, controversially postponed 
Boston World 2021. Uh, we did, uh, uh, I think we did a write-up on this previously when this happened. We also did an episode of the TBWS Writer's Room, our new YouTube series. Go and check it out. It's actually really, really cool. Uh, the new YouTube series. It's called the TBWS Writer's Room. Um, TBWS contributors get um, on a huge Skype call. You can see our fucking faces if you want to jerk off to us because people keep asking what our faces look like so I can only assume that's the illogical conclusion. Um, people want to see your face. I do that with podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> these are the reasons why michael will never be taken seriously because i'd keep because i because before we record i'm like i'm not gonna curse i'm not gonna say anything fucking horrible i'm gonna be pro- i'm gonna tr- i'm gonna be normal and then as soon as i get on air we talk about porn and jerking off to our own faces and like <laughs> like literally well, I, never, I never said it was my own face within the- <laughs> okay well i i might have projected it and started that okay over there <laughs> In my desperate attempts to feel sexy, I masturbate to myself. And it yeah. doesn't work. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is why we don't have sponsors. All right, one day we'll find the right sponsor. <laughs> what the fuck is I talking about, dude? Go check out the TBWS Writer's Room series on YouTube. It's a lot of fun. Uh, a piece of news has broken recently where... Basel was postponed. Basel 2020 was postponed to January 2021, which makes no fucking sense to me because the language that Basel was using implied that Basel 2021 was still going to occur. So we also we also heard about how Rolex and Tudor would be postponing releases. Exactly. Yeah. As well, and Patek and Patek Patek Tudor Rolex. Nothing. I mean, but Rolex closed. Rolex seems to have just closed everything, dude. They're all closed. You know what I mean? Crazy. It's like what one tenth of the country's employment. <laughs> like I'm not even joking. I saw that metric somewhere. What is it? The rest of the rest is like chocolatiers. The rest is cho- the rest of chocolatiers and mountaineering. That's, <laughs> that's very inappropriate and offensive. I take that back. I've said worse, but still. Um, <laughs> sure have. <laughs> I sure have. <laughs> so what's so what's going on with this? People want their money back. People want their money. So I money back. So I think what happened was Basel said, "Hey, we're postponing 2020, Basel 2020 to to January 2021," in an attempt to be like, "Okay, you've already paid. The show's still going on. We're doing it in 2021." However, there are brands out there who basically, and this was an admission by uh, the director of Basel himself, there are brands out there who essentially spend their entire marketing budget to go to Basel as their main outlet of outreach, as their main outlet for releases, to share uh, new uh, uh, releases, like, like, like watches and updates with people. And it's on Basel where they rely on their yearly revenue uh, to potentially stem from. And so some of these brands are spending between thirty and $40,000 uh, just on the, on, the, on the low side. On the low side, yeah. I, yeah. I'm not talking like the big, large, but the big, large brands are going to be fine. I'm talking about smaller brands, which do encompass the majority of ha- who actually goes to you know, Basel. There's That's a true. fuck ton of brands who go to Basel um, that we just don't ever hear about because no one talks about them, which is really annoying. What's happening is if those brands are spending thirty, forty thousand um, dollars to go to Basel and they rely on doing that in you know February, March, April, whatever the fuck it is, to make money for the rest of the year, if that's not happening in fucking March. February, April, whatever, they're not making money at all. They're not getting any word out on the releases. They're not networking. They're not doing anything. So their marketing budget is still being held by Basel World, and they're not getting anything from it. 
which presents the really terrifying situation of some brands might not survive the year if they can't make money in the year if Basel doesn't happen. So these exhibitors have said, hey, Basel, we'd really like our fucking money back. Like, just so we can at least maybe experiment with other forms of outreach uh, or just sit on the fucking money so we don't die. But then Basel came back with their own conundrum and the director of Basel basically said, hey, if we give you your money back, Basel is also ruined. Yeah. <laughs> like as an organization, we'll, we will we will cease to exist. Uh, I think the words he specifically used, and I, I used Google Translate for, uh, for this, was um, if I give them their money back, I jeopardize Basel. That's pretty powerful. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it's one of those things where money has changed hands, but the money is not getting the people who paid what they need to sustain themselves, but Basel is keeping the money because they still need to sustain themselves. And so what Basel has, um, and this is coming, and the request is coming from uh, initially like a big coalition of Swiss exhibitors, and then shortly after a lot of other European uh, uh, exhibitors, like non-Swiss uh, you know, exhibitors as well, are just like, yeah, we really fucking need our money back, man. And so what Basel has done is, in an effort to try and make everyone happy, they've proposed uh, two options. So I'm pulling up the piece on the site. Go to twobookwatchknobs.com and check out the piece. Uh, I actually had a lot of fun um, <clears throat> yeah, putting it together. Option A, option B. Yeah. Also, there's two options here. Uh, presented by, and I'm going to fuck it up. I've never fucked it. I've never said this guy's name right. Uh, Director of Basel. It's uh, Basel World, the actual event. It's Michael Loris Melikov. Melikov? That works. I think that, that works. works. Sorry. Sorry, Mr. 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 Michael, if you're listening. He's, he's, he's never going to talk he's, to us. He's never. He's Yeah. That's not going to happen. Uh, there's two options here that Mr. Melikoff has uh, shared with exhibitors who want their money back. Uh, uh, you guys at home, let me know your opinions on this. Option A is that Basel will take 85% of their of the of the payment, so 85% of 40,000, and they'll transfer it. The transfer they'll transfer it to the next Basel 2021 event. And then 15% of that will just be kept by Basel World to recover from the cost that Basel spent to, to, to mm. kind of put the show on. So 85% will be applied to Basel 2021, which I'll talk about, which just presents a whole fucking conundrum of logic, which I'll talk about in a second. While 15%, Basel is just going to keep in order to cover their, the, what they had to pay to just put on Basel 2020 because they canceled Basel 2020 to the so close to where event, like like event or like, like organizers already paid like construction was already paid and like suppliers were already like everything you know what I mean so Basel World I do understand has to pay the people that have already helped to logistically get 2020 going on yeah so that's option A option A is assuming you still want to work with Basel we'll basically just give you a huge credit towards the next Basel 2021 event um, remember this is under the confusing supposition that 2020 and 2021 are happening in the same year yeah uh, option b is there's a bit more juggling happening in option b option b is they will be reimbursed 30 percent of what they paid 40 percent will then be transferred to basel 2021 and then 30 percent the remaining 30 percent will be will be kept by basel world to cover their cost from basel uh 2020 this doesn't really address appropriately, in my opinion, 
the fact that some brands really need that money to live. And it's also both of these options are trying to trap brands into sticking with Basel no matter what, because the threat that the exhibitors have given Basel is if you don't give us our money back, we're not going to Basel ever again. You know what I mean? Just let it die. Just let it die. Just let it die, man. Let it die. <laughs> what do you think of your of your of these? So let's say Michael, you're you're a small manufacturer or you're a small brand, and you're based. I'd somewhere. probably go for the first and try to really? and try to like build up build up funds some other way. Um, wow, I would I would do option B. I would get back as much money as I could and then just write off Basel. Like, yeah, I know you're contributing blah, 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 like 40% to Basel uh, 2021, but like, I'm fucking, like, I just need to focus on 2020 of my financial year. Yeah. Because if, if the brands have raised this much or this strong of an alarm, they're, they're probably pretty, playing it pretty close to the chest with their margins. Like, it's going to be tough for a lot of these smaller brands. It's the difference, so just to put it in perspective, it's the reality that the COVID-19 crisis, large restaurant chains, like fucking, I don't know, TGI Fridays and Denny's, and all these huge large chains, they'll be fine. But like the mom and pa local restaurants are probably fucked. That's like the difference. Yeah. <clears throat> with these smaller brands versus these uh, larger brands in regards to how close they're really playing it to the chest with how much money they make and all that shit. You know what I mean? So I I'm curious to see how this plays out. I do agree with you. I do think it dies. It should die. But if I were to choose one, I would just choose option B just to at least get some of my fucking money back, dude. And just write off the rest of this bullshit they have here. Yeah, we we also forget how how much of the economy is tied into Basel world in <clears throat> yeah, that dude. town. Oh my God. Um, yeah. You know, like service workers, um, construction workers, like people that set up that whole thing, uh, the tourism industry, um, the hotels in the area, there's so much tied to that event. Yeah. Um, at the same time, like I feel bad at the same time, like saying like it should die because that would put a lot of those folks at risk as well. In the long term. I mean, that's true. I mean, may, there's got to be some kind of compromise or it's just, it could just be, and this is a real life thing. It could be one of those things where no matter what happens, someone's really going to get hurt. Like there is some, <laughs> there's some situation, there's some situations where, yeah. where someone has to win uh, and someone has to lose. Yeah. You know? So... Um, and Basel World, as an exhibition organizer, is kind of caught in the middle here between the town and the exhibitors. You know what I'm saying? Because, like, you're right. If Basel does die, that town doesn't really have shit. It's basically, it doesn't have shit. There's nothing else in that town, is there? I mean, I've never been. I'm sure I'm sure it's a tourism spot for other for other reasons, but that is, yeah. a, that is a big chunk of tourism for yeah. Basel. Yeah. So, it's interesting. I think... <clears throat> I'm curious to see how this plays out. It also kind of sends an interesting uh, interpretation to me in that if a lot of these options are structured to try and transfer people's payments to Basel 2021, then Basel must already have in mind of like, okay, we haven't even had Basel 2020 yet, but it's on our radar that Basel 2021 could be in jeopardy. So let's try and secure payment. Let's at least try and secure payments for Basel 2021 already. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So... 
it's gonna be cool to see how it plays out go and check out the article i have all my sources uh you know linked in here uh, linked in here as well and everything like that so it's pretty cool there's also a press release directly on the Basel world website where they talk about this shit as well so yeah really surprised you know we're not seeing uh more sites talk about this i think it's pretty cool let's talk about happy stuff well here let's do this let's get to the main topic but beforehand i do want to give a shout out to um a longtime tbws listener who has gone and started his own youtube channel i think and i say this without any hyperbolic innuendos or any kind of bullshit he's probably one of the best photographers and videographers we've seen oh, yeah. in the watch family yeah. Uh, definitely <laughs> i mean like like no bullshit like i i bullshit a lot on the show but this is this is no bullshit um huge shout out to now there's two ways to say his name <laughs> there's mr ace k productions which he seems to have leaned into on his youtube channel here which we're gonna talk about in a second um and there's also Mrachek productions which is technically the last name but i think most people just call him uh Mr. Ace K Productions. So huge shout out to Mr. Ace K Productions. He has started a YouTube channel for uh, video reviews and just cool like video in regards to like watches and stuff like that. He just started it now. He just posted his first review, video review. Uh, it's only five minutes long. Fantastic fucking videography here. Uh, really wonderful narration as well. It's for the Breitling Navitimer. Um, we'll have a link to it in the show notes as well. Huge shout out. Um, Mr. Ace K Productions, Dale, super cool, man. Really, really cool to see the channel go up and excited just to, to see the stuff you put together. So go and check it out. Uh, look for it in the show notes. If for some reason you don't want to look in the show notes or if you just don't know how to Google, you can just fucking reach out to us and I'll, I'll just send you a link. But yeah. that's like a last resort option. Uh, let me see here. Michael, shall we get, shall we get into the main topic? Let's talk about Pierre. Pierre, some ja- <laughs> I don't know why you saying Pierre makes me makes me laugh. <laughs> Pierre, <laughs> there's like a sense of urgency. Pierre, Pierre, where's the gold? That's I how I hear it. That's how I hear it all the time. <laughs> where's the gold? Um, Jacket Joe is a really cool brand to me because. We talk about um, <clears throat> what's the three like the three Swiss like legacy watch brands that have like history going back. It's like it's what it's what like Patek. So people say Patek, AP, Vacheron. and Vacheron. Yeah, like um, that's like they call it the Holy Trinity. Which the Holy I the, disagree with. Well, you know, let's just let's let's just let's talk about popular sentiment right now, just to make a just to make a point. I think the reason that kind of occurs is two reasons: the brands are very old. Yeah. And it's essentially an unbroken chain of familial ownership, or at least familial involvement. Right? I mean, Patek has changed hands quite a few times. It's not a publicly traded company or anything like that. Uh, But, you know, even even then, these brands have changed hands here and there. I think actually AP is, you know still the closest to, to family owned. Got it. Okay, that's interesting. So it's always kind of confused me why I guess Jack A. Joe doesn't get pulled into this Holy Trinity as much. Right. And we'll talk about why, because there was some events that occurred in the 1900s, which... Did, why know, isn't Breguet in there? Like That's, <laughs> an, ex- that's an excellent fucking question, right? Anyway, whatever. Whatever. It's fine. It's fine. We're not bitter. We should make our own Holy Trinity. We should do... We should have like a... We should nail a 90... Like 99 thesis to like the church door. And we should like... We should have... We should do an offshoot 
of hot of, of, of alcoholology where we have our own trinity uh we have our own book are you in yeah my holy trinity is uh rice sriracha and soy sauce <laughs> that's the holy trinity dude my broke ass lunch my, when we worked together in miami that when i was super fucking broke rice avocado and sriracha i ate that every day sometimes twice a day not only to keep me alive it was fucking delicious good it was really good remember i had to used to i used to have to cut the avocado with a plastic knife how funny was that shit that was fun it was fun to watch <laughs> like like a monkey using an iphone like i don't it's just like i know what i have to do but i can't poor monkey um or chimpanzee whatever i don't know i don't know about monkeys uh what were we talking about so jack Adro has history going back super far so the 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 you know, 1700s the big issue with Jack Adro as a brand is that unlike some other brands, when you talk about the history of Jack Adro, you are talking about the history and the life of Pierre Jack Adro, who essentially started the brand because after his death in 1790, um, that was kind of it for the brand. Mm. You know, they didn't really... Uh, and there was a, there was a number of reasons you know why that occurred. So I think that's probably one of the differentiating factors is that after 1790, really nothing important or nothing technically innovative, as technically innovative as some of the shit we're going to talk about here had occurred. And you can even see this on the current Jack H. Rowe website. I'm not even bullshitting you. It goes from 17 like 87 to the year 2000. <laughs> <laughs> huh. It's just casually omits two centuries nice um and the year 2000 is was the swatch uh, uh acquisition swatch purchased the jack Adro name in 2000 which we'll which we'll talk about here so this discussion of the history of the jack Adro brand um will really be a discussion about the lifetime of uh, pierre uh, jack Adro and sort of his accomplishments and what he had done that was really uh, you know that that really like 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 merits notoriety, positive notoriety. Um, so I got some notes here. I actually wrote down notes. Uh, so born in seventeen twenty one uh, in Le Chou de Fond. Don't know where that is. Apparently it's in Switzerland. Um, Pierre Jacquesro uh, uh, was born into basically uh, a pretty typical like well off family. Uh, you know, at a very young age, like most people who were sort of well off, he had like advanced training and, you know, mathematics and physics and all that stuff. And at the ripe old age of 17, he opened up a workshop in his home, in his hometown where he was basically working on essentially pendulum clocks. That's 1738. So between the years of 1738 and 1758 are really when uh, sort of the defining years of Jacques Giroux as a watch manufacturer, um, a tinkerer, a very smart tinkerer, and uh, and a brand had sort of really become you know, a, a, a definitive. It was during this year where Jack Adro's interest in clockworks and watchmaking began to bleed over into uh, uh, automata, automata. I don't know how to say that word. Robots, little, little robots, essentially. Auto automata. Maybe? Automata. Auto yeah. Can I get a hot dog with an automata? Automata. <laughs> we're we're American. We're we're. We're really we're American. Smart. We're super smart. <laughs> <laughs> I love how you said 
I said we're American, and then you said we're smart, and you paused just enough before you said, right? Because <laughs> we're not sure. We're not sure. <laughs> we're not sure. Um, uh, what was it? So, 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 automata. Automata. It's essentially little robots. They're, what, 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 I've always been fascinated. I've always been fascinated by little things powered by gears, whether it's toys or if you're in a museum and you see like a fucking cuckoo clock or something. Automata or automata, I'm going to fucking keep saying this wrong, um, is essentially the practice of creating something lifelike, specifically human-like, mm -hmm. uh, with the gear train operating system, very similar to watch, that allows that uh, lifelike uh, you know, thing to perform a whimsical function yeah. um we'll talk about specific examples uh three specific examples from jacques Giraud, but it's stuff like uh the machine can write the machine can write anything you want up to 40 characters the machine can play an instrument um, machine blinks the machine has as close to human-like characteristics uh, as humanly possible and, and so, we're, we're, to be clear, we're talking about stuff that is crafted in the image of a human being. Human being. As yeah. human-like as possible. With, with hair, with clothing. They blink. Um, you know, I'm looking at a little boy riding on, at a desk. It's, yeah. it's kind of crazy. They blink. I, I can There's... see why they thought he was a witch. <laughs> we'll get to that. It's fucking hilarious. <laughs> Probably one of the most infamous stories with, with Pierre, Pierre, Jack Hedgerow. Um... And I want to spend some time talking about these three iconic automata, automata that he made. But between the years of 1738 and 1750 is when he really started getting into it because it sort of tapped into this part of his brain, which I think we can all relate to in some sense, where <clears throat> if you know enough about something, you mm -hmm. reach a problem where you know technically it's able to solve and it's a challenge, but it's fun. Yeah. And it seemed like that's what was really propelling his kind of foray from pendulum clocks and clockworks and watchmaking to an extent into really leaning into these automata. Automata, automata, automata. Yeah. I'm going to keep saying that word wrong. Uh, I'm going to get a lot of angry emails. Um, and it, because of that, these things were really ahead of their time and that they forced they kind of pushed the boundaries for what these little automata could do because i think what's also really cool and i saw this um i saw multiple sources say this the reason that jack pierre jack Hedro's automata specifically were fantastic is because unlike other ones that existed the gear mechanisms and all the cams and all the discs and all the bullshit existed inside of the actual human as opposed to living on like a box next to it you know what i mean like it was actually it was like Disney fucking animatronics before before Disney was a twinkle in his great 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 father's eye. You know what I'm saying? Like, no, 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 that's that's too many greats, but like so that's what kind of made these, you know, um particularly uh noteworthy. So around uh seventeen fifty-eight, around uh so between seventeen thirty and seventeen fifty-eight, he started making these automata, uh they started getting attention. He was still making watches, but people were taking more notice of him because of these little robots that he was making, you know. Um I know robots isn't the right word, guys, but I, I feel better saying robots, okay? They're they're kind of robots. Yeah. It's, it's not the it's not the it's not the practice of robotics, but they're essentially mm -hmm. robots. Yeah, I gotcha. Um 
to the point, so the, the Rawless robots, <laughs> now it just sounds ridiculous. The robots were becoming so popular to the point where uh, a close confidant of his suggested, hey, you should go on the road. Like, you should go on the road with your robots. Going on tour. Go on tour. <laughs> I wrote, I wrote, what did I wrote here? <clears throat> Roadshow. 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 Yeah. With the goal of using the automata to display presentations, as display presentations to essentially market his watches. Roadshow? Roadshow. So that was the idea. He was going to tour Europe, go to different noble uh, uh, areas, go to different courts, royal courts, use the automata as the as the draw, and then while people were there, you know, sell watches. Um, and super interesting. I wrote. I love what I wrote here. <clears throat> what did I write? Uh, when you decide to create robots to market your watches and beat MBNF by two hundred years. <laughs> do you remember that mbnf fucking like robot and like the rocket ship they made ouch baby very, <laughs> very ouch <laughs> so he traveled um and he started making a lot of money selling watches and using these robots as a really cool draw until one specific event um this thing has been documented i don't know if it actually happened but it's fucking hilarious and I think it adds really great flavor to the story. And it also presents something really interesting about Jackajero as, as a person um, that I find fascinating. Also, Michael, am I talking too much? Or are you okay? No, I, I'm, I'm learning. This okay. is a brand that I know nothing about. And I love this brand. It seems like I, you're educating me. <laughs> I've always been so motherfucking fascinated by this brand, man. So um, something particularly noteworthy happened towards the end of his uh, journeys. He went to Spain, like you do. He went to Spain, uh, Jack and Joe went to Spain, and he presented the automata to, you know, uh, King Fer I always, I always get these motherfuckers mixed up. King Ferdinand the sixth? Sixth. What's the V in a one? That's six. That is six. Sorry, guys, we're American. We don't really... Uh... <laughs> we learn Roman numerals in first grade, we pass the quiz on Monday, and then we never look at them ever again. Unless you're looking at the Rocky movies. So, uh, America, if we want to learn more Roman numerals, we gotta keep making Rocky movies. Right? Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, this is six. King Ferdinand the <laughs> six. <laughs> oh, what was I saying? He goes to he goes to King Ferdinand the sixth's uh, royal court, and he goes and displays the automata and everything like that. Um, there's two really interesting things to 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 point out here. So the automata that he displayed for for King Ferdinand the sixth no longer exists. Some of what he'd created exists still, but these ones in particular didn't exist. One of them was apparently a scenic sort of like outlook of like a basket of apples with a dog. Okay, the dog was a robot. And so um, he tells the king to like, oh, you know, why don't you try and reach for one of the apples? Uh, uh, you know, Jack addressed it. And so the king reaches and like timed, remember, this is the story, timed really, really well. As he reached, the dog began to bark and like guard the apples with such real life ferocity that the court's actual dogs thought the king was being attacked, and they started freaking out. Because um, he was able to have the dog, he was able to somehow create an appropriate, uh, authentic dog bark uh, sound from this thing. And so, probably, probably the same kind of mechanism that we see in the bird, right? Exactly. I think, yeah. and we'll talk about what Swatch is doing, um, it's very much, the charming bird is very much in the same sort of uh, vein, in kind of a more avant-garde presentation, or at least some of them, you know, as to what this dog this barking dog was doing. And so uh, the king was delighted. Some people started kind of getting a little worried. Um, 
you know, uh, at this time, you know, I think Spain's probably, you know, we're a couple hundred years after the Spanish Inquisition, but, you know, witchcraft <clears throat> could probably make a comeback. So some people are getting a little bit worried. And then there was a second robot. I'm not really clear on what this robot was, but the way it functioned is that it would, it would, it did something, but it also told people uh, the time. If you asked it, you had to. So Pierre would it would instruct someone. They would ask what time it was, and the robot would tell you perfectly in time. So what mm -hmm. I want to point out here is there's a level also of showmanship which is occurring. It's not just like a nerdy watchmaker, like making stuff at his bench, like. This, 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 this is an air of spectacle and like kind of whimsy that's happening here. And so uh, the king asks the robot what time it is, and the robot says nothing. And then Jack and Joe goes, oh, that's right. Uh, he doesn't know Spanish. You have to ask him in French. <laughs> and then the king asked him in French, and then the robot told him the time. <laughs> <laughs> so if that story is true... Pierre probably had the timing down perfectly with enough know-how to anticipate how quick the king's reactions would be. So, like I said, this level of stuff is happening here. That's when shit got crazy. Uh, basically, the court's inquisitor, uh, he had to prove and show how the machines worked because they were going to try him and burn him for witchcraft because they were pretty sure he was using black magic. Yeah. To make the little automata, uh, automata work, so he had to, um, he had to, uh, he had to open up the machines. He showed him it was all by natural means. He walked the court and the inquisitor through the process, how it worked. Uh, he basically showed them how the sausage was made, like a yeah. phrase that we use. He showed them how the sausage well, <clears throat> sausage was made um, in an effort to, you know, not be burned alive. And speaking of sausage. <clears throat> um, like a lot of things and technical innovation, we eventually see um, this stuff adopted in erotic spaces. Uh, I'm, I'm yeah. guessing Jackie Drew also also played played a part in some of the the erotic watches that we've we've talked about before. I don't know if he's ever made any, but I mean it's possible because yeah, that's uh, a lot of, lot of wasted tech if you don't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they're out there. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure they're out there. It's possible. I mean, that's the first thing a king would ask for. <laughs> oh wow, like, that's great. The boy can tell me the time. Hey, listen, can I get a girl with big boobies on a watch? And she like <laughs> exactly. And she like moves them. If I press the, can you can you can you do that, Jack? Tro? I'm just Pierre? saying we should we should dig into that. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it exists. Who knows? Um, so we showed the king, <clears throat> the king of Spain, how it worked. Showed the court how it worked. Showed the inquisitor how it works. Awesome. They were so enamored, they paid him a shit ton of money because they bought a bunch of stuff. And so it was that particular event which a lot of people focused on for Pierre Jacquardreau because it was that event which allowed him to gain enough funds to go home mm -hmm. and open up a new workshop and to just really hammer creating watches and these automata robots to market them because that was a business model that really worked for him for a while he would do these road shows and he would just use the robots as a draw and then sell watches mm -hmm. <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> motherfuck sorry i have allergies right now um so between 1758 and 1790 we see the peak of jacques Adreau and then the rock bottom <laughs> 
of Jacques Giro. So 1758, <laughs> they started opening up new workshops. There was a London workshop. There's one in Geneva. And the uh, the road show and the renown that he had had spread so far that one of his largest markets was actually uh, China at the time. So the, uh, the, the, they were fascinated by these sort of self-driving little, like he made little self-driving like, 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 like snuff, snuff boxes with like singing birds on them. You know what I mean? And so it was that level of detail and whimsy and charm that people really gravitated towards. And so yeah. what he started doing was he started just, and I guess this was common practice at the time, selling things, shipping them out, but not demanding payment uh, on the spot. Like essentially doing like credit. Like, oh, I'll send you this thing and you fucking, you pay me, you know, whatever. Um, two things had occurred, which... Or three things technically, which really signaled the downfall, uh, the unfortunate downfall of uh, Pierre Jacquardot as an individual and Jacquardot as a brand. French Revolution, excuse me. Fuck, that was a fun one. <laughs> French Revolution, the Napoleonic Wars, and um, apparently there was some kind of business deal that had gone bad with China, where they just stopped paying him. They took all the shit, but they just stopped paying him. Uh, over the course of years, years, you know, these three things um, started signaling, you know, the, the the downfall. So lost a lot of money, had to start closing workshops. Uh, towards the end, he was just trying to make whatever he could to just bring in some kind of money. So it wasn't so focused on the automata or like watches. He was making those little knickknacks like the snuff boxes, you know. Um, I talked about it earlier, like, you know, snuff box, you pull the cord, the, the girl shakes her boobies or whatever. I apologize, that's really crass. <laughs> I'm exaggerating, but, you know, we were just talking about that before. Um, until ba basically his death in uh, 1790, and then his son's death around that time as well. So when his son and when he died, that was it. Workshops closed because it's one of those things where one person's technical know-how was the sole reason something existed. Yeah. It's not like a large corporation where someone can, you know, they could fucking, uh, you shadow me for a month and you'll learn the job, kid. No. You know, the, when, when, when Pierre Tecajero died, the, the, the brand and what really made it special uh, died that day um, as well, 1790. But then something interesting starts to occur, okay? Um, you still with me, Michael? I'm not, I'm not getting boring, am I? No, no. Okay. Go something, on. something interesting starts to occur. And this is something that we do see, it's pretty common. Even if the person dies, uh, what they created, you know, remains. Uh, during I don't know years, if that's going to happen with me. Um, we should start recording the podcast on stone. I guess. Right? <laughs> Sorry, go on. Isn't stone, I know, I think about it all the time too. I'm just like, I'm like, what if I... What if I died today and my <laughs> and my home burned down and Google deleted all my Gmail accounts? There would be nothing. Yeah. I would leave a legacy of dust and dirt <laughs> and nothing. <laughs> I gotta start doing things in stone. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta chisel a self-portrait in stone. Um <laughs> sorry. Between the years. Of uh, uh, between the, the peaks of 1758 and 1790, during those years, um, Pierre Jacques Giraud and his team made three of the most technical automata, which still exist. Um, those three automata, after his death, 
They went on like a Goosebumps weird changing hands European road story. Uh, so 1790 after his death, what did I write down here? Those three automata, which I'll talk about in detail in a moment, um, they continued to circulate throughout Europe. They ended up in Spain in 1787, just before uh, Jackie's death. He probably had to fucking sell them for money. Uh, after that, they were in Paris in 1812. And then between 1830 and 1904, they did essentially like a... a a European treasures, it almost seems like a curio, like a weird curio tour um, around Europe, excuse me, until uh, 1904 they arrived, uh, they were purchased for, I, all three were purchased I think I saw for 75,000 uh, francs in 1904, which is That's probably a, a lot of money. Of money. Yeah. Holy cow. You know what I mean? Let me see. In 1904? That's Damn. what it said. <clears throat> So was that all three or <clears throat> all three? For, they stayed the they total stayed, for all three. They stayed together. Seventy-five. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, okay, I got my date wrong, uh, or at least the source says uh, nineteen oh six. So it's either nineteen oh four, nineteen oh six. Purchased for seventy-five thousand francs. Says francs in gold. Like you do. I wish I could buy things in gold. I wish I could buy things. <laughs> and stop <laughs> Scott record publish <laughs> I wish I could buy things um, 75,000 uh, francs in, uh, in gold uh, by, by uh, a group of people who purchased it specifically to put it in this museum in Switzerland I'm not familiar with, uh, familiar with the museum of art and history and here we go guys you ready <clears throat> Neutral that's pretty close. New, I've heard it like that before. New Chattel? Yeah. No, it's not German. New Chattel? <laughs> new Chattel. New Chattanooga, Tennessee. This is a fun show. New Chattel, uh, Switzerland, where they've been. Uh, early, I mean, I, I don't know if maybe they've moved since then, but that was like the last big move they made was to this, um, you know, this museum. And all three, uh, 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 you know, stayed stay together so that's where the automata were and then nothing kind of happened with jackie drew as a name tied to watchmaking until about the mid 1900s so uh huge shout out to let me see here where is he huge shout out to i want to i want to fuck your name up and i'm so sorry frank gielen gielen over at uh monochrome watches he did a really cool piece investigating this particular period of history post um Pierre's death pre-Swatch acquisition, because it is really weird. Because, like I said, if you go to the current Jacquardure website, it's just 200 years of darkness. This is nothing happened. Yeah. It's just a 1790 and 2000. It's like, okay, that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Things ha Time didn't just stop, man, all right? It's not like changing the date on your Xbox to, like, game, to, like, cheat games. You know what I mean? Like, you know, things happen, bro, but whatever. Uh, do, we know, uh, do we know who at Swatch made the call, by the way? I, I don't know. I'm sure it's I'm sure it's out there. Um, I know the CEO is one of the Hayek's right now, obviously, um, but I don't know who yeah. made the actual Koch. We'll we'll still still here. Uh, so in the mid 1900s, uh, a a group and this is really weird. A case maker, a Swiss case maker, a Swiss dial maker, and a Swiss movement provider decided to take the Jackie Drone name, or or they won it in a card game. I have no idea, but they got the rights to the Jackie Drone name. And decided to make Jackie Drew watches. Mm -hmm. However, these have nothing to do 
These are so far removed familially, technically, and orologically from what Jackie Jordan was doing in his own lifetime. They just look like regular fucking watches that were made in the 50s and 60s. Or 60s and 70s. Nothing special about them. Yeah. Um, they apparently weren't even that great. Uh, it's just someone was just putting the Jacques Adro name on, on uh, some watches. And so they were doing that. But it wasn't until 2000 when Swatch uh, acquired Jacques Adro, which is super interesting. Because like usually when Swatch acquires someone, it was during the court's crisis. Hmm. So, yeah, I, I didn't know it was that <clears throat> recent. I didn't know it was like 2000. Yeah, how crazy is that? So, um, so 1900s things things happened with the Jacquesero name, but it had nothing to do with what Pierre Jacquesero was doing as an individual and a craftsman and everything like that in his lifetime. Then um, Swatch bought the name, and I guess they're just like, you know what, like, let's make this the Jacquesero brand. So that's why I love modern Jacquesero, and that what Swatch is doing is they're very clearly trying to pay homage to the name and to Jack Ajiro as an individual for what he had done with his automata and the whimsy he had put into a lot of the swole, uh, you know, gear-driven um, like creations he had made. Um, we'll talk about some, you know, interesting current Jack Ajiro models now, but uh, that's basically it. And that's where we stand now with Jack Ajiro as a band. Uh, as a band. As a band. As a band. As a man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, modern modern Jack and Joe is still still very new um, quote unquote recently acquired 20 years man I'll, I'll call that recent um, I think what's happening with Jack and Joe is really really cool I think it's very very fun we'll talk about some modern pieces now but that in a 40 or 50 how long it's been minute nutshell is basically the history of the brand I think the reason probably we don't hear that much about it or why it doesn't necessarily get included so much uh among like the other holy trinity is because it's probably because the fucking robots man you know what i mean that was the big draw we weirding people out at that time yeah probably. you know um and also when jack when pierre died that that was it like jack and was making things in the 1900s but fucking like it was not that great um let me send you this video. I found this really good video of all three of the automata. Do you want to spend a couple minutes talking about how crazy these three robots are? Because I have some really great descriptions. So are they the ones in the, uh, yeah, same one. This video will be in the post that we put up on Monday. Yes. Yeah. So are these the exact ones that were purchased for that 75000 I don't know if these are the exact ones, but these are from his time period. Yeah, dude, this is nuts. So let's start with the little boy. I think it's a boy writing at a desk. The writer. They have names. There's the writer, the, the draftsman, and the musician. So the writer looks a lot like the same kind of animatronics you'd see in Disney yeah. in the 90s. Yeah. But this shit was what, like early 1900s? 1750s. Yeah, dude, the world was not ready for that. <laughs> here, uh, there's a great description on this website here. I'll have all the links here. Um, this is funny. Funnily enough, I guess people. Um, He's moving his head too, dude. He Ooh, blinks bananas. He blinks. The draftsman, as he's drawing with the pencil, pauses to blow pencil lead away from the paper. 
It's insane, <laughs> Michael. <laughs> so this description I'm reading uh, is from a website which is about computer programming. So apparently people in the computer programming niche uh, recognize Jack H. Rowe just because, you know, the level of what was happening here is a facet, I guess. I don't know shit about the computer programming, but I could see it. You know what I'm saying? Um, bah, 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 bah. The android, he calls an android here, made of 6,000 pieces, is sitting on a little Louis-style, like Louis the 15th-style stool, holding a quill that dips into an inkwell. So he dips the pin into an inkwell, he shakes it to get the excess, I'm not even bullshitting, <laughs> this is a robot, he shakes it to get the excess little ink off, and then he puts the pen to paper, and he can, and this is the writer, and he writes letters. He can write up to 40 characters, and you can have him write basically anything you want. Um, depending on how you arrange and or switch out some of the cams and the discs within his mechanism, which you can see in the back. Yeah, I'm, I, I just paused the video at a, at a shot where you can see the, the little boy's back, and it basically opens up like a chest, and this it's this whole like vertical array of... <laughs> that's, that's hilarious to see, because like brands today will say, like, oh, this movement is made of... like. 230 something components wow fucking casuals <laughs> casuals <laughs> oh my god you know oh and here's a really cool thing uh the writer can even be interrupted um in the middle of his word and then asked to write another so it sounds like what jack had probably done was um he took this thing to court and he said anyone give me a word any word or give me like a couple words or like a phrase and then he was able to i guess quickly enough um, program this thing to you know write the word out i mean he was like a 1700s like tesla figure you know with the, that's that's with, the same with, kind, with of this kind of stuff yeah 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 you know um so that's the writer super fascinating uh i love the draftsman so the draftman he he's a bit <laughs> i love made of only two thousand pieces mm. the musician is the one that freaks me out man she's scary looking the digits, like the, the movement of those fingers. Oh yeah. my god. Uh, so the draftsman, he basically draws uh, pictures. It's very similar to the writer. It's like it looks like a little boy and he's sitting at like a little student, uh, you know, table. Um, and he draws one of four pictures. Uh, it's a dog, or he can draw a cupid in a chariot pulled by a butterfly, uh, or he, yeah, apparently he could draw Marie Antoinette and Louis the Sixteenth. Um, <laughs> uh, small elbows concealed blah, blah, blah. oh that's hilarious from time to time the draftsman will raise his hand to examine his work the better to correct some defect so obviously he's not actually correcting it but he's like doing the human like motions of like okay where am I okay this looks good there probably is no defect it's probably yeah you know <laughs> so cool Oh, interesting. Apparently the machines, the draftsmen, can be reprogrammed, changing the cams, because there are stories that he was able to have it draw uh, the English monarch when he was touring England. So he could have it draw... Oh my god, what a fucking genius, dude. Right? I'm gonna go to France and have my robot draw a picture of the kings, and then I'm gonna go to England and have my robot draw a picture of those motherfucking kings. Damn. Now we get to the musician. Probably the creepiest. It's very creepy. The hands are creepy. Yeah. Um, very different than the androids. Uh, it's a young girl. 
she's sitting at a small organ flute, you know, uh, mechanism. And so basically the cams and the mechanism of the musician activate her 10 fingers to actually play the instrument. So it's not like the mechanism in the robot is tied to the tied to the instrument where it's just one mechanism kind of making it look like two things were actually doing something. Uh, the, the robot is playing the instrument. The robot is playing the instrument. <laughs> so I guess not like, not a life-size music box, but a robot playing a instrument. robot yeah right uh let me see here the connected between the girl is stressing her movements when she plays looks on the left looks on the right and finishes with a curtsy oh my fucking god so this all eventually <laughs> focused in, into like the watch space yeah, I mean, well, yeah. it, <clears throat> he, I don't think he put this much technical innovation into, like, uh, watches that he had done, but yeah. these were the marketing draw. But what Swatch is doing now as a modern company is paying homage to the automata that uh, Pierre Jacquardot was doing. Interestingly, the only watch design I could find from Pierre Jacquardot was the inspiration for the Grand, the Grand Seconde. Yeah, because you see, that's that's like the pocket watch. Pocket that's like watch. the very classic looking pocket watch. That's the it's only watch I could find from, from yeah. him. It's, that's like the Submariner for Jacques Hedro. Like yeah. that grand second layout with the you know, <clears throat> the two like circles like overlapping. Yeah. Um, and it carries over into the, the skeleton as well, which is probably what I would wear. That shit's badass. But yeah. So um, let me see here. I'm on the Jacques Hedro website now. Excuse me. Yeah, there actually is a excuse me, collection called the Automata Collection within Modern Jacket Row. And this is where you'll find a lot of like the charming birds. There's the bird repeater, which has like the two birds guarding an egg and they open their wings, I guess, when the minute repeater activates. You know what's um, a little sad though? <clears throat> I Jacques Hedreau is still one of those brands that takes a huge hit on the gray market. Like I'm I'm on Chrono 24 right now and I'm looking at a Jacques Hedreau <clears throat> Grand Second. For eighty-seven fifty, that's not cheap. But that's people are paying. Cheap, people wow. are paying more to get a steel Submariner. I mean, it's, it's, on Instagram. It's, it's further evidence that luxury brands don't really hold, you know, their yeah. value. Plus, Jacket Joe, in terms of autology, is not really a well-known or brand. I mean, it's a well-known name, but like, even non-watch people have probably heard of Patek. You yeah, because it's it's in like rap songs right now. Exactly. I don't hear I fucking rappers talking about Jacques Rowe. I mean, maybe one day they <laughs> were they were day. like talking about Frank Mueller back back in the day. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. So it's just I love Jacques <laughs> Rowe as a just the history of the brand. Um, and I love these pieces. The Charming Bird is really really cool. There's different versions of the Charming Bird. I love the Charming Bird because it's. The way I guess they're able to achieve that bird noise is I think it's a system very similar to classic Hunter's bird calls. Have you seen Hunter's bird calls? Not the ones mm -hmm. you blow into. So like the whole like Duck Dynasty not, thing? Not, you, like, well, I think those ones, it? not the ones you blow into. Um, there's a type of bird call where it's a cork and a piece of metal and you kind of rub the cork against the metal and it makes that... Oh no, I haven't seen those. I think it's old school. Um... 
I don't know why I had one as a kid. I never hunted, but I, I had one as a kid, and it was fascinating. I, I also I grew up really loving. I always had birds. As, uh, as we're brown, brown people love birds. I don't know. I have no idea why. But what? Keeping, you're not white. I know, but keeping birds in Pakistan was apparently like a really big thing. So like everyone had fucking birds. So I grew up with birds. I had thirteen parakeets growing up, Michael. It's like a status symbol, right? Birds. I have no status to symbolize. I mean, <laughs> but I get it. I, I, hawks. I know hawks are like a royalty. Oh thing. yeah, yeah, that's true. You know, hawks and falcons and all that shit. Um, but like, it's a bird call where it's the friction of the cork against the metal, which makes that kind of sound, you know? Mm-hmm. That's more of a rat than a bird. Um, but you know what I'm trying to say. When you look at the charming bird operating, it's very similar. It looks like these rubber sort of pistons within a kind of clear tube. And as they rub, and as air escapes probably some kind of tight like aperture, uh... It makes that sort of noise. It's almost like it's, it, I guess it's like an organ. You know what I mean? Mm. Air escaping tubes. I don't fucking yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. You know. I, I mean, it's like a little. It's a little array of tubes in the in the charming bird mm-hmm. with pistons. So yeah. yeah, yeah. Really fucking cool. Um, there are other collections within the Jack and Joe line. I'm not super jazzed about them. I like the Grand uh, Grand Second Grand Second. Uh, Let's take a look at what they got here. Collections. Um, uh, either uh, by the time of everyone hearing this, or pretty soon this week, uh, I'll be posting a press release for um, a new Grand Second that happened within our new segment on the site. We have a new segment on the site called Two Broke. T O O B R O K, which is essentially um, it's press releases from the watch world that are watches we think are cool, but that are just fucking just like, way too expensive. Like we know we'll never buy these watches. And it's um, it's funny to see the emergence of that section because I, I feel like back in the double digit episodes we were asking folks like, is it okay for us to talk about crazy expensive watches? Mm-hmm. And we would get some <clears throat> some mixed signals from folks, and we didn't really like hammer hammer in the right way to to cover these until now. So yeah. you'll see you'll see those releases there. Um, and yeah, Jacques Adreau, I think the Speedmaster's there. Um, and uh, that $20,000 horse. <laughs> That's a whole other episode. You're what better would than you, that horse. What would you rather spend for $20,000? Remember when we did that episode of the Speedmaster? What would you rather spend $40,000 oh on? <laughs> I can get an AP offshore like Safari, which is a pretty collectible one at this point. I can make a drop in a bucket on my student debt. That's true. <laughs> Actually, I wouldn't say drop in a bucket. I'd you be able can, to... you can, you can stock up for the end of the world. Stock up for the end times. <laughs> That's a very die, different episode now. Die in comfort. <laughs> but um, but yeah. So Jack and Joe recently released a new iteration of the Grand Second. Um, it's a skeletonized Grand Second. So it's the Grand Second Skelet One ceramic. Um, oh, that's the newest one. That's the one I'm looking at. I had no clue that was the. That well, was there's the a ceramic, and there's also a plasma ceramic. The plasma the, ceramic I'm is the at one the that's plasma new. ceramic. That's the yeah. new one. So, um, you know, they released it in conjunction with another rose gold one. So it's them trying to be like, oh, you could either go traditional skeleton or like ultra crazy innovative skeleton, blah blah blah. And so they're kind of making a big deal about this plasma ceramic. So the ceramic. Is injected into the mold. They have the ceramic mold, and then they superheat these gases to the point where the gas at like twenty thousand degrees Celsius, and then the gas achieves the fourth state of matter, and it turns to plasma. And uh, you're able to get a metallic shine on. And the- that's that's all the stuff you would tell the beautiful lady you're trying to pick up at the bar. 
when you're showing her your watch. After you spent twenty thousand, apparently you can spend twenty thousand dollars on a watch, but not a date. I mean, <laughs> it's a twenty thousand dollar watch. If for, that'll just, work, right? That has, that has to. The thing is, okay. So here, if you are interested at all, or if that process I just broke down for you about plasma ceramic is super fascinating, and you think this watch is cool. I got news for you. It's literally the same exact process that Verado uses on the hyperchromes. That's so a good point. Yeah. You could just spend a thousand bucks. If you don't care about the way the watch looks, if you're just interested in this, the, the plasma ceramic process, just get a hyperchrome for like a thousand bucks. Um, I, I do really like the way that they incorporated the... The figure eight? The, yeah, the figure eight. Yeah. Yes. I. So it's really it's it's really just a thing. It's not necessarily something that I think is is paying proper homage to Jack and Joe and the robots and Andreas Automatons, what the fuck you call them. Um, it's paying homage and to the grand second sort of design with the figure eight in that it's a the the plasma ceramic one. It's very avant garde. It's very modern, but it still looks like it's part of the grand second line. I think that's fucking awesome. And at the same, so I'm, I have the monochrome article open. So mm-hmm. the plasma ceramic is cheaper than the red gold. So yes. twenty four thousand three hundred. Red gold is like thirty five. Yeah, that's still cheaper than like a breguet of this caliber. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I, I don't know why people don't focus on Jack Ajuro. I don't. Maybe people just focus on like a lot of their novelties. Um, and not necessarily them as like a watch you could actually buy. And I mean, not you and I, but fucking broke as shit. Um, if we if like, we liquidate if we liquidate TBWS today, do you think we can get a pair of these? Uh, if we used Affirm and got second jobs, <laughs> <laughs> right? Oh man, <laughs> Affirm. This episode is brought to you by Affirm. It is not. <laughs> Maybe maybe it's time. Maybe they're the sponsor. Maybe they'll be the sponsor. That's actually a very logical sponsor. Two broke watch knobs <laughs> brought to you by Affirm. <laughs> oh, the podcast just got very sad. Telling you. <laughs> but that's um I I love Jack and Drew. I had a really a- incredible time just digging into the history because I knew some stuff before. I knew about the story um of him and King Ferdinand in Spain and the witchcraft. Like I heard that story before, but um, to be able to understand the life of Pierre Jacquesro in relation to his brain really directing everything, um, it's one yeah. of those. It's it's just it is just really sad that there wasn't because I know he tried teaching or he worked with his sons and he worked with friends like close to him. Uh, his wife died when he was very young and he never remarried. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean. So it's kind of sad that during the 1900s. After his death, or not, but during the 1800s and 1900s after his death, that there wasn't <clears throat> you know, some kind of continued operation, even if it was just in like hibernation, and they were like, and like fucking Moser, like 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 Moser making pocket watches in St. Petersburg on the lowdown. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. like like something, something would have been cool, just so we could have a really interesting connected lineage uh, in this day and age, but. As far as I'm concerned, this is one of the times where I will agree with how a brand presents its timeline. Jack Row ended in 1720, and then it started again in 2000, even though stuff did happen <laughs> between those two dates, you know? Well, at the same time, we're so we're so skeptical when it comes to brand revivals. Yes, so like, yes, but yes, the, yes. Yeah, this, is, this is a really, really good one, and brand revivals can be a good thing they can be really bad or things go really really well yeah <clears throat> i think this one has gone well you know doxa is another brand revival that we don't really 
recognize. Mm. Um, but it, you know, I'm kind of grateful that Swatch took this on. I think they're servicing the brand well. I love what they're doing. I think yeah. the thought process is so good. Uh, they and they moved the workshop back to um, Jack and Joe's hometown. Nice. So apparently, take them to Grand Stall. Because um, I think didn't they do, didn't they try doing the same thing with Panerai? Or no, that's that, that, that that's Richemont. Richemont's doing their whole different bullshit. Sorry. That's Richemont, and they're still at the same. So they're they're at this technically the second location. They they call mm. it the first workshop, <clears throat> but it's not really the first workshop. Workshop, it's like the first boutique. Got it. Uh, yep, <clears throat> I remember now. So I yeah, I, this is one of the instances where I'm I'm loving. What uh, this brand revival is looking like? I think the pieces. Oh, dude, Michael are... Jordan has one. Michael Jordan has a Jacques Adreau. Look at this. Oh, MJ. What is he wearing? Which one is it? He is wearing a. Uh, what is this thing called? It's the Grand Second Power Reserve. Nope, not. It's just it's a black dial Grand Grand Second thing. What Time a, only. What a man of taste. Yeah, I, I I just I just googled Jack Adro's celebrity just to see who <laughs> who wears because because like you said you don't hear you don't hear about these in like the luxury space where people no. are like lusting for Supreme they're lusting for for Audemars Piguet yeah all that kind of stuff um so I'm just curious to see who like, <clears throat> like if you which the, celebrities are if wearing you're them. in the market for a five digit watch and you have a watch get together and i i don't often talk like this but i'll talk like this now because i do think more people need to, need to know about this brand if you're in the market for a five digit watch and you have a watch get together and you're trying to figure out something really cool that people have never thought of to hang watch dong like true like proper fucking watch dong at your get together get a fucking jacket row because this is a sleeper orology watch in my opinion Vanessa you know I mean? Hudgens. <clears throat> That's a name I haven't heard in a long time. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason. Um, <laughs> if I could, I would get one of these. Although, I mean, hey, I guess if I ever get together, what, 8000 bucks, I can get this Grand Sa- I I've actually seen, not Grand, Grand Second, but I've seen some other Jack Zero for like 5000 bucks. How crazy is that? Well, like, I sent you that link on Chrono24. Like, that's... You know, eighty-seven fifty is not. That's not cheap. But that's like, not hey, cheap. Holy hell! Like people are paying. Like people were paying twenty-three thousand for the Batman on Jubilee. We all oh look like God. dickheads now. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to get the dick off your head, get a jacket, draw, guys. All right. <laughs> oh, but that's it, man. Fun. Brand brands we know nothing about. I I I I feel I, like you knew something about this brand, Kaz. I knew a little bit, but just because the, the fucking charming bird, man. I love that watch. Yeah. You know? Um, and I knew I knew some of the stories, but um, in getting prepared for this show, I was able to connect a lot of the stories and really understand. Because, like, for me, after Jackie's death to, or after Pierre's death to 2000, like, it, like, it was just this kind of, like, blank nothing. Like, oh, what the fuck happened? Like... You know what I mean? So you know, I was able to get a little bit of insight. Shout out to Monochrome for for, for putting that uh, putting that way, piece the, together. The Charming Bird is really, really, really expensive. It's big. It's big too. Like, if you if you look at Chrono Twenty Four listings, like those things do not like take a hit. And we're talking like more money than a fifty nine seventy, like a thirty nine seventy. Like this is this is way beyond Patek money. Even even used. I don't I don't often say this. I, I think the price is justified. Yeah, I think so too. It's it's 
it's quite it's quite fucking insane. Um, do you remember when we saw one? We saw one in person at that Turbion. Uh, I still think I still think we should have told the guy like, can you take it out? Like, we want to try it on. Like, what the fuck were they doing? What was it like a Tuesday in San Francisco? That like, dude was just sitting alone, <laughs> eat, eating Fritos and drinking a Fresca in a nice suit. <laughs> it, this was empty. The place was fucking. He was always like, he was always like his shitty snack break at four thirty p.m. or something like that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> next next time we see a charming bird, let's let's try it on. Let's try it on. Let's try. There's a there's a Turbion boutique here in Seattle. When you when you do come visit us, you know. I want to go. I want to see if they have one. We should do it. Yeah. I'm looking for something in a charming bird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Show up with like a Burger King, like a Burger King cup and shit like that. Got like Fritos. Got like Frito fingerprints all over it. I'm looking the real, for something. The 2020 billionaire look. <laughs> Tech bro, man. Yeah. You know. Yeah, so here let's uh, let's do this. Really hoped everyone has enjoyed episode one seventy one. Brands we know nothing about. Part ten. Jacques Adro, the life and times, the rhyme and chimes of one Pierre Jacques Adro. Kudos to Swatch for getting the brand and um, really paying appropriate, uh, you know, homage to someone's work who I think has really become forgotten in the watch space. You know. So, um, hold on, what'd you just send me? Oh, this is, that's Michael a, Jordan. You, you just sent me the picture of Michael Jordan. That's a beautiful one too. Yeah. Wow. Simple. What a, what a fucker of taste. Guy's got taste, man. What a guy. What a guy. Okay. Um, what was it I was talking about? Uh, let us know your thoughts on this week's show. Go and check out previous, uh, brands you know nothing about, um, episodes. We'll include a link to like a search page where that shit will aggregate for you guys. And then, um. Go and check out the site, twobookwashups.com. Check out that Basel World piece I was talking about where the exhibitors are demanding their money back. Uh, check out the options. Which option would you choose if you, if you were a brand? Uh, Michael and I are divided. Michael will go with option A under the supposition that Basel will exist in 2021. I'm more bleak, which is, I think, part for the course and how our differences kind of play out sometimes. <laughs> They're both bad options. Let's yeah, get yeah we can there. agree on that. They're both pretty, <laughs> pretty bad options. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god um is it that is it that time is that sad time thank you so much to everyone that's been reaching out and asking us how we are doing all this coronavirus stuff appreciate it and um i hope everyone's doing well and everything go and check out the site people go and check out our youtube watch the writers room episodes there's three right now they're really really fun um let us know your thoughts on this week's show and uh yeah today uh today we're here tomorrow we're what getting jack Giro? jack age roses this is fun, man. We should do this every week. We should do this. We should do. I was, you know, it's funny. I was talking to my wife about it. You and I should record a podcast every week. That's a good idea. Ah, <sighs> uh, we do record the show every week, guys. Okay, you should. Yeah. You should. If you're you should if you're just tuning in, if surprise. you're just, yeah, I, I should I should probably be careful. Yeah, if you're just tuning in, we do record the show uh, every week. Hope everyone has enjoyed this show, Michael. Is it that time? Is it that sad time? I don't want to go. This was a blast. This is fun. Um, I like this. I like this segment a lot. I want. I want a Jacques Adro now. And right. Ugh, God. It's a shame. It's a shame that I just can't can't get one in Prime. Like two day shipping. You know, <laughs> just throw in your next Amazon order. I need to get some fucking bandages. <laughs> I gotta get a TV wall mount. I need to get. Uh, oh shit! The Jacques Adro. I got Jacques Adro, and uh, I need to get thumbtacks. All right, Amazon Prime. Boom. Thirty-seven thousand dollars. <laughs> 
Uh, well, it's that time, and uh, this, Here, this you, was fun. Yeah. This was fun. Here, you stay by the nice people, and then I'll, uh, I'll close this out. Thanks for listening, guys. My name is Mike. And this is Kaz. You have been listening to Two Broke Box Knobs. Later. Later.